Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe. And that French music says we're in Lourdes, France on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. We're so excited to be here meeting all kinds of interesting characters, but then also some good guys, too. Uh, we have one of those here, Father Richard Mullins. Now, are you still an Oratorian in Very much. Formation? So, an Oratorian in formation. For the Oratorian community of St. Philip Neri in Washington, D.C., is That's that correct? correct. Wow. Bonjour. Yeah, well, we're so happy to have a croissant with me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, you know, it's interesting that all these shows that we do here really focus on pilgrimage and focus on Lourdes and, mm-hmm. and all the things that are related. And the other day when we started our pilgrimage, uh, they brought out this 7,500-pound uh, candle. It was a big candle. It was a big candle. And you had made the remark that I was going to have to carry it like we do at the Easter Vigil, like... The deacon's going to carry the candle in. Who's going to carry the deacon? (laughs) Because that's a big candle. And I thought, you know, we should talk about just what is the candle and why do we why would we light a candle on a pilgrimage? Why? Well, that's a good question. So that's why we brought you in because you got the good answers. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll try my best. Uh, I know you will. So let's just start right off the bat with what were we doing there as we were kicking off our pilgrimage and we had this big candle. We were lighting a candle. For the pilgrimage as a symbol of our prayer rising up to Christ. In the Catholic understanding, a candle stands for the presence of Christ. And so to sort of delve into the history of that, we have to go to the Feast of the Presentation on February 2nd. Okay. When the candles are blessed. Right, the blessing of the candles. Candle right. mass, is that what they call no. Yes. Okay, very good. Very good. And so we blessed the candles on the Feast of the Presentation because our Lord was presented in the temple. Right. And so it is the symbol of Christ coming into the temple, and it mirrors Christ becoming the light of the Gentiles and coming to illumine the world. And so we celebrate that arrival of Christ to illumine the Gentiles by blessing the candles. And so it reminds us that those candles are now sacramental. They right. are blessed for church use. And they are really sacred objects. They're sacred things. Every movie you've ever seen about that had anything to do with the Catholic Church, somebody was lighting a candle in it. Right? They're either holding rosary beads and they're lighting a candle or, or right? It's and, an easy prop. Right. But it's but it's but it's a reality. It's a genuine it's a genuine um, vision, uh, something we can see and feel and uh, uh, experience in the Catholic faith. So you see this in the pilgrimage setting like uh, Lourdes, France here, we we will light this this candle and we don't just say, All right, well we're done lighting the candles, blow it out and uh, Let's just move on with the rest of the pilgrimage. That light stays lit during our entire pilgrimage, which is why you have a very large candle. That's right. right. And we've got a lot of people, and we've got a lot of prayers that we need to lift up to the Lord. And so that candle is a reminder. And it's also a reminder of Christ's presence among us, that 
in our yes, needs, indeed. right? That he answers our needs and he's present and he, and he burns brightly. How many times did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? He said it several times in, in scripture, especially in the gospel of John. And we, and we, we realize that's how Jesus revealed himself to us and helped us to see what he was offering us. And that's his right. Presence. From the moment that God separated the day from the night, the light from the dark. Yeah. Isolated. It's the first thing that was happening. Let there so be light. And so as followers of Christ, we see the light of Christ coming into a darkened world. And especially in the pilgrimage context, because everybody comes here for a reason. Everybody comes here with a prayer. Everybody comes here with some kind of issue. And so we invite Christ to illumine our hearts and minds. Mm. We invite him in to rekindle the light in our souls as we come here to Lourdes. And just as that light burns in every Catholic church above the tabernacle. Right. The sanctuary light. That's right. It reminds us of the presence of Christ. Amen. And this, this concept of, of being able to see and that Christ offers us light. I mean, there's a physical reality to that, right? If you, if you have no lights, every time the lights go off in my house, you know, power goes out or whatever. The kids run around, scramble around, find the candles and the matches. They love to light things. And so we light candles. Little pyromaniacs <laughs> all, exactly aren't right. they? There's nine of them, and there's a, lot, it's a lot of fire in the house. But that, that's how you recruit altar servers, because they all like to light the candles exactly and things right. like that. I know you probably, in your sacristy, have little burn stains in the carpet or whatever in the floor, where it's like that's where little Joey you know, dropped the incense or whatever. All right? of that. Yes, yeah, so I wait till they're older, and then I remind them. And once they're making a, a good wage, then I ask them to replace the carpet. Uh, beautiful. That's a beautiful <laughs> little process. The Catholic Church at work. But again, seeing that the physical reality of light. Yes. Right. And we also see so many image images all through scripture. Remember in the, I guess in the ninth chapter of St. John, when Jesus heals the, the man born blind from birth. Yes. Now I was asking like, well, you know, why was he born blind? And they're all concerned about the sin and his sin and whatever. And Jesus essentially says, I'm doing this to show you the glory of the master, you know, that, 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 that we're, and I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, he says, and how powerful that is. And he, and he, you know, of course, then he makes the little mud clay or whatever and rubs it in the man's eyes and he can see. And we start to realize the imagery of being blind and not being able to see, darkness, not being able to see, and the candle, the light of Christ, really essentially helping us to, to see clearer, to see the path. That's right. The, the lantern of the body, as we hear, that the eyes were the lantern to the mm-hmm. body. So Christ allows that light to come in to that man, to illuminate him. It wasn't just about giving him physical healing right. to be able to see it was allowing him to see Christ as the light. Yeah, and that's beautiful. And again, to make that comparison, to be able to, it's hard to walk down the street without being able to see. Indeed. Right. And so to find our way, to find our path, especially to find our path uh, to an eternal salvation, you know, in glory with God, to, f- to, to find that path, to stay on that path, having the light to guide us is a good thing, which you had brought up earlier. I think you'd mentioned the Easter Vigil. And the idea of what happens there, such there are, a beautiful ceremony there. There are three types of people who go to the Easter Vigil. Yeah. The first are those who were received in an Easter Vigil at one point in time and go back to commemorate that profound moment where they entered our church. Right. Beautiful. And then the second type of people are sort of the liturgical groupies. Right. People who love these details in the Catholic faith, people mm-hmm. who love the readings, the unfolding of salvation history. Yes. 
the interesting aspects of the liturgy. And then you had the third type who are people who thought it was like the vigil mass on Christmas and they're going to get in and out and be able to go see the grandkids. (laughs) And they end up there for four hours. (laughs) Good. Well, that was meant to be. Absolutely. They need need to say, of course, then there's also the, uh, the deacons that have to be there to carry the candles. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, it's such a profound liturgy and it was Pius XII who brought that ancient liturgy back into the life of the church. The Easter vigil before that was celebrated in the morning. It really wasn't a vigil in the proper sense right. of the nighttime. But now, you know, that liturgy is celebrated after dark, and it begins with the lighting of a fire. Right, the Easter fire outside the church, right? Yes, lit by, ideally, a flint created in a natural, so it's a fire created in a natural way. Right. And then after the expression that we have of Christ in the tomb and the darkness that we've experienced on Good Friday, well, there's that first light. There's that first fire. And then that light is passed on to the candle. That's right. And so the candle is blessed. You know, Jesus Christ yesterday and today, Alpha and Omega, all yeah. times and seasons belong to him. Yeah, when they're doing that, when the priest yes. reads these words, we should pay attention to what's going on. It's not just, this is not just mumbo jumbo that he's like, well, I got to say these prayers. Essentially, you start again with that, that fire, almost a primal fire, hearkening back to creation. Yes. Right? And all life flows from that, that spark of life, that, that fire. And it's going to essentially be the light that carries us through for that next year. Indeed. Yeah. You know, and people often wonder, why do we get a new candle every year? That's right. Well, the new candle is blessed, and, and it's the, a profound symbol of the resurrected Christ. Right. See, I make all things new. And so the candle is lit, and the deacon carries the candle in the church into the darkened church yes that's right you know exactly that's an excellent point that the church is completely completely dark and very often for priests and deacons i'm sure sort of a fight with the ushers well how are people going to get to the bathroom and how are they going to get in and out there's the grumpy old people that don't want to be outside (laughs) and they sit in there with their iphones and ipads lighting their pew so they can see i haven't had that experience but it makes you want to get a cell phone jammer for your church doesn't it well yes also but at the same time they're very generous and so (laughs) father i've bought this pew you know (laughs) just kidding yeah so we have that that candle coming in and it's only after the deacon has said the second time the light of christ right that the light is then passed. Mm, and and then, then we start to share the light. That's right. It's first passed to the liturgical ministers, and then it's passed to the general congregation. And so you see, firstly, just an inkling of that light being spread, and it reminds us of those apostles. Right. You know, hiding under the table in the upper room, and Shaking. Christ comes in. Yes, yeah. exactly. And their little bit of light that they were able to rekindle in themselves as the as the resurrection began to sink in to their, to their minds and hearts. And then that light is passed on to everyone else, and it symbolizes the passing on of the faith from parent to child, from friend to friend, across time, across uh, countries and nations and language groups, just in a variety of different ways. But that light is spread until eventually that we turn around and we see an entire church filled with 
light. And where did that light come from? Ultimately, from that Easter fire, from that beginning. That symbolizes the light of right. Christ. And so we're, there's more to talk about this Easter vigil. We want to take a break real quick. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to, to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we will be right back. I'm Vestra Zemsky, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. The beginning of this famous prayer to St. Michael the Archangel calls this blessed angel to action against the evil that besets the faithful on earth. Pope Leo XIII first ordered the prayer of St. Michael to be said after every Mass throughout the Roman Rite in the 1880s. It is said that Pope Leo had a prophetic vision one particular day after saying Mass. He was permitted to see the great evil of the coming century, the great wars that were to tear at the heart of Christian Europe, and the terrible persecutions the Christian faithful were to suffer. The late Holy Father turned to St. Michael the Archangel for help and protection. St. Michael has long been known as God's defender against the evil one. All throughout Holy Scripture, St. Michael had been called to marshal the heavenly host to come to the defense of the faithful. In the Old Testament, Michael is described as the defender of Israel. In the book of Daniel, Michael is the guardian of God's people. It reads, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. In the New Testament, Michael is depicted as waging war against evil. The book of Revelation says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Scripture reminds us that St. Michael is our great protector in the spiritual struggle between good and evil. After the Second Vatican Council, the St. Michael prayer was no longer required to be said after Mass. But Pope John Paul II still encouraged all the faithful to pray for St. Michael's help. He said, I ask everyone not to forget it and to recite it to obtain help in the battle against forces of darkness. Pope Benedict XVI describes St. Michael as the protector of man's very understanding of God. Benedict said St. Michael defends the cause of God's oneness against the presumption of the dragon, the ancient serpent, as John calls it. The serpent's continuous effort is to make men believe that God must disappear so that they themselves may become important, that God impedes our freedom, and therefore that we must rid ourselves of him. All throughout the world, there are great shrines and churches dedicated to St. Michael. Many countries around the globe count him as their special patron and defender. St. Michael's Feast Day is September 29th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe here in Lourdes, France. And we're here with Father Richard Mullins, who's uh, stirring his uh, hot chocolate. Chocolat. Oui, chocolat. Yes. Chocolat. Show. So I'm so happy you, that we were able to offer that to you. Uh, Merci beaucoup. I think you actually paid for it, though, so maybe we didn't really give it to you. But anyway, all that aside, you'll be rewarded ten times that 
Father in heaven. In the kingdom of heaven. I have 10 <laughs> cups of coffee waiting for me in the kingdom of heaven. That's good. That makes me happy. We were, we were just talking about candles and the light of Christ and the presence of Christ. And really, we were talking about Easter Vigil and that just wonderful, uh, the, the beautiful uh, gift of that liturgy that allows us to see this fire, the very beginning of life, right, that starts outside the church that leads us through that candle that's, that's now we all follow that candle that's lit. And we hear the Lumen Christi uh, proclaimed by the deacon as he carries that candle or the, the light of Christ. And, and then the people join in and they light their candles. The lights have all been passed, that the church is grandly illumined with a beautiful glowing candlelight. And God willing, no one has set themselves on fire. Well, that happens every every once in a while because we have lots of little pyros that like to come to the Easter Vigil too because we get to light candles, don't we? <laughs> but I will tell you something. that The next part that happens is, is so special to me as a deacon because it's one of the great privileges I have as a deacon to actually bless the Easter candle. And it's like I, I'd, I just really, of all the parts of my ministry, it's one that I really I cherish because it is it really is a great gift. It's not because I get to be the the... You know the star, or I, I don't even really even see it in that perspective so much as, wow! It, you mean it comes to me that I get to hold this candle and then I place this candle, we incense the candle, and then this ex- exultet is sung. Yes, which is a beautiful, powerful hymn, isn't ancient. it? Ancient. It's an ancient hymn that's sung, uh, essentially asking God to bless the candle. And you know, I think your listeners would love to have you sing a few. Bars yeah, I'm of sure that. they would. Uh, and but really, my agent said I wasn't supposed to sing anymore. Oh, gotcha. It's a contractual thing. It's a union obligation. No, uh, you know, the, the, you, you've heard it before, but it's exalt. Let them exalt the host of heaven. Uh, wow, that's that pretty good. Minister. Yeah, so it's it's beautiful, uh, and it, it's uh, essentially. Uh, this, the, you, if you listen to the words, and it's a, it's a very long hymn, so a very long prayer. And if you listen to the words, they're like all of salvation history is recounted it, from the very fault, you know, of, of Adam. And we sing, oh, happy fault. Yes, you know, that's it's right. like it's, it's kind of beautiful to see the, the context of that. And then we start hearing about this candle. And again, it comes back to the candle, and we, we hear that this candle is fed by melting wax, drawn out by mother bees. Yes, it's a sense of the busyness of the church, isn't it? Yeah, busy bees. That everybody working to yeah. create the body of Christ. Amen. Yeah, that everybody working to build up the church. And I think also... And to make Christ present and known. Well, I know, it's exactly. We see that image, and then we also see the image of uh, something that's sacramental, right? That's something that comes of the earth. Think of our sacraments. Yes. Think of baptism. We have water created by God to be good, right? We see that at the beginning of creation. And then the blessing, right? And then, then this is used to bring God's divine life to us. So the grace of God comes in this way. Well, so we have a candle with, you know, mother bees busy making wax. And then that wax is consumed by the fire, the light of Christ. That's, it's powerful imagery. Yes, and although it begins at the Easter Vigil, that light burns for 50 days, burns for the Easter season. Yes. It's not extinguished until ideally at Pentecost. Right. It's, it's just a powerful image and how important uh, Easter is, the resurrection. But again, I love our feast that, that we'll talk about this great event like the resurrection, but tie it to creation, the beginning of time, and, and salvation history. As we, as we hear at the Easter Vigil, we hear all of the Old Testament readings recounting all of uh, the, the, the great prophets and the histories, the Genesis. We hear all of this stuff poured out upon us. How we got to where we are. 
and right. how God was present through every age. And then the celebration of Christ and his resurrection. Right. All wrapped around and still present and visible to us. Right. In, in the symbol of light. Yes. But in the real presence of um, his abiding uh, gift to us in Eucharist. Yes. Right. That the Christ is still here and still present. Again, the, the sanctuary lamp that we that we look for. We walk into any darkened church and your eyes should scan instantly for that little red globe uh, burning somewhere that says Christ is here. Right. And that's why we put candlesticks on the altar. Right. To symbolize Christ in the Eucharistic sacrifice. That's why very often you'll see candles on either side of the ambo symbolizing Christ as the gospel is read and proclaimed. Of course, before you even walk into the church and sometimes along the sides of the church, you might see other candles lit there that other pilgrims might come to that church uh, in supplication looking for That's looking right, for a prayers. prayer. A prayer going up to Christ, isn't it? Yeah. And these powerful prayers that people have that they, that they affix to this candle as they, as they honor our Lord in the flame. And you know, very often people forget the very important nature of candles in the Catholic Church, that it always stands for Christ. And you know, in our pop culture... Things like the unity candle have become very popular. Right. And that's not something that's ever to be encouraged. Well, in theologically, a there's ceremony. a little question about what that actually symbolizes. And I like, well, maybe we should edify our listeners. And so when someone says, hey, uh, I was just at this beautiful Presbyterian wedding, this beautiful Baptist wedding, and they had this neat thing where we had a candle for you and a candle for you, right? The, the bride and the groom. And then there was a single candle in the middle. A wee candle. A wee candle. But see, we don't do that in the Catholic Church because a candle always symbolizes Christ. And the unity of man and woman is so beautiful, but there are other ways to symbolize it. Right. And we symbolize that with the rings that the husband and wife exchange. That's right. We symbolize that by the blessing. We symbolize that by their unity. Yeah, by the and, and their physical Presence unity. Mass, Coming yes. together as husband and wife, what a beautiful gift, the gift of life. Uh, and the light of life comes forth from that unity as, as well. Now, this doesn't mean that people who had a unity candle at their Catholic wedding have to go to confession, right, Father? You're not saying that. Yes, the wedding's invalid. <laughs> no, it's no, not. No, no. <laughs> Please don't write in. If you do, it's, it's Father Richard Mullins <laughs> at... No, no, no. But, you know, I think it's good for us to understand sure. what these symbols are and what sure. they represent. And I think that once upon a time, that was a big trend mm-hmm. that came into the church. I saw people mixing sand and stuff, too. You all that kind that? of stuff. There's yeah. been all sorts of creative stuff that people have added. But ultimately, that's not part of the authentic liturgy of the church. I've never seen any mention of a unity candle in the general instruction of the Roman Missal. But you're the only guy that reads that, aren't you? Hopefully I'm just teasing. everyone's <laughs> reading it. In fact, hopefully not just the priests are reading it and the deacons. Hopefully everyone's reading the yeah, general instruction. You, it's the amazing missile. what you find out when you read the instruction of the church because it's not, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's a, just a big giant rule book. It, you know, there's more to it than just the rules. It's a catechesis. It's an it education, you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful when you start yes. to read these things because it tells you why you do things. Yes. And, you know, it's so important that we do things correctly at Mass because the Mass is a prayer. And we want to do our prayer correctly. You want everybody to be on the same page. Yes, and so we have these beautiful candles as part of the ceremony. You know, not as production value, not as entertainment, but rather to point us to Christ. And the whole liturgy should do that. And that's a part of the liturgy, the candles. And so all of that symbolizes 
you know, the presence of Christ in what we're doing. And, you know, it's, it's not entertainment. It, it's not there for show. It's not, let's see how pretty we can make the church. Right. Although that's a side effect. Right. That ultimately it's a symbol of the light of Christ. But amazingly, when you, when you truly understand the meaning of the symbol, what you can do then is suddenly now you, now you relish in the beauty. Yes. Right? I'm, I'm telling you, one of the great, one of the things I love about the Exalted, going back to the deacon. Good. Yeah. It's all one about the, you. One of the things I love about the Exalted is, is as, as we're blessing, as the deacon blesses the candle, as, we, as we're singing the Exalted, I get to look out and I see a sea of candles. I see Christianity before me. I see individuals, people who have struggles, people who have fears, trepidations, people who have problems, addictions, difficulties in life. And I see the light of Christ present in each one of them. And they hold that. That's powerful. It really is. And I tell the new converts, those who are coming into the church, the, the catechumens and the candidates, I tell them they're in the front row. The turnaround when you walk Mm. into your pew just turn around and see this church lit that the flame of the faith has been passed on to all of them. What a great thing to do. And now it will be passed on to you. I guess we get to see the light of Christ and have them to turn around and see that. I just, I, I just love that. It's just a little bit of a support. I think. Yeah. To look around and to see everyone else has received the flame of the faith and to to think now I'm going to be a part of that. And this light that will soon be mine, I can then share with someone else. And I can bring that light of Christ to someone else in my life. I can pass it to a relative. I can pass it to a friend. I can pass it to a stranger as a sponsor in RCA. And that's what we're called to do. Absolutely. That's beautiful. We are an evangelical faith, and the, and the light is a symbol of the fact that we are called to spread that faith. That's beautiful. Well, on that note, we're going to give people time to go now spread that faith. So light your candles and head on out. Right? Let your light shine before <laughs> please, all. Please don't start singing this little light of mine. Do not hide it under a bushel basket. <laughs> Very good. Father Richard Mullins, thank you so much for enlightening us about candles. I uh, really appreciate your time that you spent with us today. Fiat looks, let there be light. Amen, brother. Amen. So let's, uh, we're going to end with a prayer. We're here in Lourdes. We always just invoke uh, Our Lady uh, for all those who are in darkness, right, that, 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 that her son Jesus would bring them light. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.